20 years ago, I met a brilliant attorney who had a passion for the First Amendment. He was building a unique law firm that would ultimately argue and win multiple cases at the Supreme Court. His name is Kelly Shackelford, and his team at First Liberty Institute is among the best in the business at defending your most basic rights. I was managing money for Templeton at the time. Little did I imagine that what Kelly was doing on religious liberty would match and meet up with what I was doing in the investment world. Kelly asked me to join his advisory board, and that has given me a front row seat in the battle for our most basic rights. And this has a very real and direct economic application. And there's an economic application that can help preserve your rights as well. Let's begin by reading the First Amendment. It says, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people to peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for redress of grievances. Sounds pretty basic, right? Right up there with baseball, hot dogs, apple pie. But if you've seen any news the past few years, you know that our most essential liberties are under assault, including our right to free speech, right to own property, and the right to raise our children, passing along our culture, morals, and values. Everything's under assault. And with the White House issuing executive orders that are very broad, we can no longer even trust them or the Justice Department. Let's run through just a few of the recent overreaches by the executive branch. The big one, of course, is the vaccine mandate. Essentially, any company with 100 employees or more will have to fire any unvaccinated individual. Is that legal? The economic dislocation is staggering. You may have already seen what happened at Southwest Airlines when it's rumored the pilot staged a sick out. 2,000 flights were grounded in a few days. It got so bad that Babylon B ran the following satire. It says, Southwest Airlines offering free flights to all passengers who are vaccinated and can fly a plane. The fact is that we're watching a wholesale restructuring of our economy by dictatorial mandate. Hospitals, critically short of nurses and doctors, are firing medical professionals simply because they, as professionals, decided that they didn't need the COVID vaccine. Now, mind you, these are the heroes on the front lines. Last year, they were heroes. Now they're fired, kicked to the curb, and denied benefits. Maybe they lived through COVID and have natural immunity. It doesn't matter. Fired. The implications for our health and economy are staggering. What happens when we fire truckers or power plant operators? This economy is already fragile. Some people want to defend bodily autonomy. Others have a medical or religious reason not to be vaccinated. All of this is supposed to be enshrined in law, but the executive branch does not seem to care. In fact, recently, President Biden said, I know the court will disagree, but I'm doing it anyway. Biden did it to buy some time for a moratorium, but it's wrong. And now he's telling the Justice Department to label parents who are show up at school board meetings as domestic terrorists. Yes, you've heard about that. But consider in the First Amendment, didn't it say we have a right to redress our grievances? If your child's being taught in school that they're a racist and that the parents are the problem, you have a grievance. Congress is deeply divided, but currently controlled by Biden-supporting Democrats. That leaves our only recourse to turn to the judicial branch, the court system. That's where First Liberty Institute shines. Unfortunately, there's an assault on our courts as well, and if we lose that battle, we lose all liberties. This is an economic battle. It's also a battle for the soul of America. To learn more, let's watch a short video produced by First Liberty Institute. So now they're coming right out and saying it. Political elites from the radical left want to overthrow the Supreme Court. We're going to add 
five, six, seven, ten seats to the court. Well, let's take a look and see. Everything, everything is on the table. Presidents come and go. Supreme Court justices stay for generations. So what's really at stake here? Our constitutional republic. They would end the legitimacy of the Supreme Court, destroy the separation of powers, eradicate our rights and freedoms, permanently politicize the court, erode public confidence in rulings. The cost would be the end of not only our country's founding principles, but our civil liberties as we know them, including religious liberty, America's first freedom. So how do they plan to go about this? By flooding the high court with additional justices, enough cronies to game the system. Their pet political projects would win every time. In other words, by installing a permanent automatic majority. So what would you call it when there's an attempt to overthrow an entire branch of our government? Let's call it what it is, a Supreme Court coup. A coup that would tip the scales of justice in favor of every crackpot liberal idea ever imagined. Bad ideas guaranteed to fail in real life, hurting real families, real businesses, and real houses of worship. Where have we seen a coup like this before? Venezuela, under Hugo Chavez. 45,000 rulings since he packed the court there in 2004. It never cited against his government, not even once. And the last time a Supreme Court coup was tried here in America, 1937. President Franklin Roosevelt wanted a court that would rubber stamp his radical New Deal policies. Sound familiar? Well, back then it was an epic failure because Americans from both parties saw the extreme danger. And since that historic failure more than 80 years ago, the term court packing has been taboo ever since, until now. Think about it. The US Supreme Court has had nine seats since 1869. There were nine when Thomas Edison's light bulb lit up his face. Nine when the Wright brothers took flight on Kitty Hawk. Nine when Henry Ford's first car rolled off the assembly line. That's nine for 150 years. Want to know who thought nine was a good idea? Nine seems to be a good number. Want to know who said adding justices would be a bad idea? President Roosevelt clearly had the right to send to the United States Senate and the United States Congress a proposal to pack the court. But it was a bonehead idea. At least, that's what he said back then. Even leading liberal Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer has expressed his opposition to any attempt to pack the Supreme Court. Here's the most important point. Justices wear robes, not jerseys. Their job is not to score points for one team or the other. Their job is to rise above politics and focus on the Constitution and the rule of law. We don't need a coup. We need the Constitution. We don't need more justices. We need more justice. The truth is, our representative republic is working as designed. And just because some anti-American ideologues can't get their way, a Supreme Court coup? This really is... a bonehead idea. So what can you do? You can help expose the coup with facts, truth, and resources. You can help spread the word to your fellow patriots. Go deeper at SupremeCoup.com. You know, this is an important issue. That's why we brought in Lathan Watts from First Liberty Institute. After the break, we'll speak with him. 
Before the break, we saw an incredible video that was produced by First Liberty Institute. So we brought in the Director of Public Affairs for First Liberty, Lathan Watts. Good friend. Welcome, Lathan. Thank you for having me. Hey, we're talking about the risks of court packing, and First Liberty is the leader in fighting this. But why do we need to worry about this? Well, our judiciary from the very beginning was supposed to be and intended to be um, the, the, the non-political branch of the three branches of government. Right. You elect your executive, you elect your legislature, your Supreme Court, your federal judges all the way down are appointed, and they're appointed for life for a reason. Um, they should not be subject to the political whims of the populace. Their job is to interpret the Constitution. And when necessary, if, if, a, if the political will of the nation conflicts with that Constitution, it's their job to say no. And then, you know, there are uh, measures that people can, can take. You know, they can amend the Constitution if they need be. We have, you know, many times. Well, if we allowed court packing, think about this. So Trump comes in and decides, well, the court's not siding with me, so he adds four justices, and, and then he'd, he'd have it. And then Biden comes in. Where, where would that end? Well, we would have Supreme Court arguments in a football stadium somewhere, eventually, because there would be that many judges on the court. Because, you know, if one side does it, the other side will respond. I mean, that's human nature, right? And that's why I say it was never intended to be uh, the political branch of the, of the three branches of government. It's... Um, if you politicize it to that point, um, then the rights that that they are empowered to protect also become subject to the political back and forth. And whoever controls the court can control what rights are going to be valued and protected by that court and which ones aren't. So now they're beholden to the Constitution, then they'll be beholden to the politicians. Correct. Right. Well, First Liberty, you, you all argue cases before the Supreme Court. You win cases at the Supreme Court. Uh, what would happen if, if um, you know, I know how you prepare. You prepare by looking at this document and you say that we're, we're going to address that. What would you prepare for if, if it was politicized? Well, I mean, you would have to evaluate who is currently in control of the Supreme Court, you know, which political ideology is dominant in the day because that political party would likely have uh, a majority installed on that court um, in favor of their political ideology or their political agenda. Um, I mean, the, the last time it was tried was FDR in 1937, and it was specifically because the Supreme Court had ruled against him on a few issues in the New Deal, and he wanted to install judges who would rule for him on the New Deal programs. So it makes sense why we have uh, nine justices. It's a, it's a decent number. It's an odd number, so you can get five, four rulings. Uh, but who's pushing to add to the court? Well, President Biden has established a, ju a judicial reform commission, and one of the ideas that they are uh, studying is adding justices to the Supreme Court um, and possibly adding judges to other courts, um, at the lower courts, the uh, U.S. Courts of Appeal, and even creating new district courts. So it's currently you know, being uh, proposed, anyway, uh, to be studied by the Biden administration. Uh, they've this commission has solicited uh, public feedback, and we provided quite a bit uh, from, from well, First Liberty. Explain that. What did you do? Um, we put a, a petition uh, available on our website that people could sign on uh, to express their opposition to the idea of court packing, and we collected over 400,000 signatures from around the country and submitted that as part of the public comment wow. to uh, President Biden's commission. Wow, that's a lot of signatures. I mean, most people have never even heard the term 
uh, but you got nearly half a million people to sign something. Wow. Yeah, and I think it, it goes to show that when people are educated about it and they understand what it is and what's at stake, their knee-jerk reaction is in opposition to it, um, which is similar to the last time it was tried. You know, 1937, FDR tried it. He faced stiff opposition from within his own party and the Republican Party and independents and moderates, you know, all around the country, which is why the idea died. Yeah, well, when I look at this, the problem, I see it, is that the Congress gets to set the number of, of justices. It's not set as a... You know, nine members. Correct. Yes, um, legally and constitutionally speaking, yes, they can decide how many justices are going to be on the Supreme Court. It's been at nine for over 100 years, um, and everybody from Justice Ginsburg to Justice Breyer to many others have said, you know, nine is a good number and we should stick with it. Um, So it's not that he technically cannot add justices to the Supreme Court. It's just that idea has been so unpopular throughout history uh, when it's been tried, that you know, up until now, it was really kind of a taboo subject yeah. since FDR failed at it. Time-tested, it's proven, it's workable. I mean, the Supreme Court, I think, uh, tell me if I'm wrong, it seems to have the most respect of the three branches of government. I, yeah, um, you know, according to um, polling on the subject, it's, it's probably of the three branches the most trusted. And it's workable, and it does shift. It, but it shifts over time. It doesn't shift immediately. And that's the problem. If you pack the court, you can shift the me- you can change it that fast. Exactly. And that would lead to, you know, can or could lead to radical uh, shifts in in policy and, and, and in law um, in a very short amount of time. Like you said, it has shifted, um, but it's done so gradually and slowly in a way that the country could adapt to. Whereas if it just becomes... Uh, subject to whoever is up this election cycle, um, you could have dramatic shifts back and forth, you know, every four years. Well, or you might not. The opposite of that is the nightmare scenario where one party gains complete power and then they have the rulings that support that. Isn't that what happened in, in Venezuela? Uh, exactly right. Uh, Venezuela and other countries that have done this, uh, once they politicized the court, uh, Chavez in Venezuela packed the court and uh, up, up until his death, they never once ruled against him. Yeah, no, that's scary because then you have one party rule forever and always. Or if you have free and fair elections, you just keep shifting back and forth. You go far left, then you go far right, then you go far left and far right. None of that's good. No, it's not. I mean, um, even George Washington, you know, in his farewell address, rule, uh, warned against the, the political parties. But throughout history, what we've seen having sort of a a two-party system for many, many years is that those two parties pulling against each other have kept the, the, if you think of it in terms of like a tug of war with a little flag hanging down, the flag hasn't really moved that far back and forth, generally speaking, you know, with some few exceptions that kind of prove the rule. Um, and, And that's good. So you don't end up with radical policy shifts, you know, back and forth in a, in a short term. Which lets you live your life, build a business, you can count on certain things, you can say, hey, the Constitution says this. Right. Yeah, so I'm concerned because we're seeing so much upheaval now. If you throw court packing onto it, I think we will have the worst of all, we may lose all our liberties if the court were packed by this administration. Well, the founders were very much um, suspicious of a pure democracy. Because in a pure democracy, 50% plus one vote 
can vote to take the rights away of the other 49%. That's very scary. So we're going to have to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about what we can do about this. So, Lathan, what you just said is important. You just said that uh, if you have 50 plus one, 50% plus one vote, they can take away the rights of the other 49. Explain. So in a pure democracy, then, and that's what the founders were suspicious of, so they, they incorporated democratic principles into our constitutional republic. But they were suspicious of democracy for that very reason, because they didn't want the majority to ever be able to take away the rights of the minority. And I think it's pretty easy for people to understand. Um, you never know when your beliefs are going to be the ones in the minority. And so you don't want the majority to, to take away the rights of those in the minority. Um, and that's why, you know, First Liberty, we, we defend religious liberty, right? You never know when it's your faith and your deeply held religious convictions that are, that are the ones that are at odds with whatever the cultural orthodoxy is of the day on, on a whole host of issues. And so we want that principle to stand to protect everybody um, regardless of whatever is politically popular at the time. Well, you know, what I love, too, about First Liberty and enjoy my association with the group because you don't just defend Christians. Right. You defend, you can defend synagogues and you defend Muslims and you defend, you stand for the Constitution. That's what you're defending. Exactly. We have represented, you know, multiple denominations of Christianity. We have several Orthodox Jewish clients right now, you know, Sikhs, Hindus, Buddhists, Muslims, a Native American sweat lodge. Um, you name it, we have defended it because, as you said, we stand for the principle of religious liberty. Uh, it's not specific to one religion. Um, if, if the Orthodox Jewish community can't host worship in their home, then neither can I. Right. You know, so we defend that right for everyone um, because it applies to everyone, and that's what the founders intended. They didn't want there to be an official church in the United States. That's the Establishment Clause. But they wanted everybody to be able to live according to their own conscience. That's the Free Exercise Clause. The, you know, Jefferson referred to religious liberty as the right of conscience. So really, that's a, that's a principle that even people who aren't particularly religious, that's why they should still care about religious liberty because at, at its core, it's about living according to what you believe. And even if you're not a religious person, you likely have a set of beliefs you want to live your life by. Right. That's what that exists and protects for you. So let's pick up the hot topic of the day, vaccine mandates, and the government's going to mandate that everybody take this vaccine. Um, there's a religious issue there, isn't there? Uh, certainly. You know, there have been uh, for many, many years um, people of, of certain faith backgrounds that have opposition to vaccines. Um, this particular vaccine seems to have created you know, um, a lot of people um, studying the issue for the first time, and maybe they have never really decided what their faith taught them about vaccination, but they've, they've now arrived at a religious conviction. And even if it's a brand new one, you still have the right to live according to it. And that's a well-established you know, principle in the law that there are uh, accommodations that must be made uh, for people who want to live according to deeply held religious conviction. Yeah, uh, it's established in the law, but it's only established in the law if the court is honorable. Uh, because a, a, a packed Supreme Court, uh, the president could say, hey, look, they've stood against my vaccine mandate. I want to force it on everybody because I've got 50.1% of the population that elected me. And maybe they're not even behind me anymore. I mean, the popularity's dropped. I mean, he, he would not get 50% today in an election. But they could force it on you if the court would allow it. That's why the last hope, the last bastion, that's where you do business, right? Exactly. Yeah, and that's and as I said, you know, at the very beginning, that's what that's why the founders created the courts as, 
theoretically the non-political branch so that you know when the people express you know popular will through their elected branches of government the president and the legislature but if they do so in a way that is contradictory to the constitution it's the judiciary's job to say no you cannot do that and they wrote into the constitution if the people want it bad enough they can amend the constitution yeah, if if the Supreme Court says no, the the way the Constitution reads, you cannot do this, and the people want to do it bad enough. But it's enough, not an easy process. No, it's not, nor should it be, uh, yeah. because again, you don't want the Constitution being changed willy nilly so that it means one thing this year and something completely different next year. And changing the court should not be an easy process. Certainly not. So I, we've done a show on playing for keeps, and I believe that there's a far left Marxist agenda that's playing for keeps. I'm not going to accuse the president of that, but there are a lot of people in his party that are, that are on that side. And a lot of the decisions look like they're in line with that, where we're going to take this country over. Just, I mean, Venezuela is a very prosperous country before Chavez. And, and to his, you know, the, the truth is, is Hugo Chavez grew up in poverty, and he claimed he wanted to spread the wealth around. But what he did to the country was destroy it. And not only that, uh, his daughter, who inherited his wealth, has $4 billion in cash in the United States, plus however much else in investment. So he didn't spread it around, he accumulated it for himself. I'm concerned that we're seeing some of that here playing for keeps. So what do we do? We, if we lose the court, I, I accept this. If we lose the court, we could lose all our liberties. What do we do to stop that? Well, we created, and you showed the, the video from supremecoup.com, we created a whole separate website just for this issue because it's that important. There's lots of information there and lots of resources there that people can go to that website, supremecoup.com, and they can download the resources. You can share them with people that maybe you know, have not heard about this issue because it's honestly, it's not getting a lot of attention in the media, um, it, some, but probably not as much as it should. So there's probably people that you're familiar with in your own family, friends, network that aren't aware of what's going on. And there's plenty of information there that you can share with people to then use that to contact your elected official and let them know that you're opposed to it. Um, you know, the, the President's Commission is probably going to come out with recommendations at some point. Um, you need to be you know, educated on that and be ready, willing, and, and able to contact your representatives uh, to express your opposition to it, to embolden them to, to oppose it uh, in, whatever, in whatever way that they can. Yeah, well, you're a nonprofit, First Liberty. People can support you, right? How do they do that? Certainly, yes, we're a 501c3. Um, no client of First Liberty ever receives a bill for our legal representation, and we're able to do that because we're supported by donors from around the country. So you can go to firstliberty.org. That's our home website where you can find all of our information there. And right at the top, there's a button. Uh, it's right next to the Get Legal Help button. It's, it's hard to miss. Uh, you can click the Get Legal Help button if you need our help, or you can click Donate. And that helps us um, help our clients at no charge to them. Well, Lathan, I really appreciate all that you're doing. This is an investment. We talk about investments all the time on the show. You want to protect your liberties. One of the ways to do it is stop this court packing. So you need to get educated. It's an economic issue, and we're going to need to apply pressure, too. Now, we, we talk about ESG, uh, which is uh, the big woke trend. All of that needs court packing to push through the Green New Deal and all the other things. And so corporations are being bribed to go down that path. It's become a haves versus have-nots. Uh, we've got to apply pressure the other direction. And one of the ways to do that is by training 10,000 financial advisors and weaponizing a trillion in capital. Another way is to support First Liberty Institute. We've got to come out from the old 
We've got to come out from the woke. We've got to go into new, exciting ways to, to take America forward. That's only going to happen if we have a fair Supreme Court. So we're training financial advisors at economicwarroom.com. You can learn more about it at that website. And what Lathan just said, you got to share this information. So we're going to dedicate an entire battle plan to this, an economic battle plan. It's free. You can download it from economicwarroom.com. If you have a financial advisor you want educated on this, nominate them for our training to economicwarroom.com forward slash advisor. This is an important initiative. Remember, what we see as a marketplace, our enemies view as a battle space. This is Kevin Freeman from the Economic War Room. Thank <laughs> you.